Welcome to The Lowdown, KMXT's show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on facts as provided to us by local and state officials. During the show, we give you access to these local experts who have information on COVID-19 and recommendations related to it. If you have a question for our guests, please email it to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181. And welcome to another episode of, there we go, of of The Lowdown. My name is Jared Griffin. I'm joined here with uh, Dylan Samard of KMXT News. Um, and our docs this week, Dr. Evan Jones and uh, Dr. Shanna Theobald. Welcome. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Here we go. Um, all right. Well, let's jump um, right into it. Kodiak, we are um, still in the green. We're still low. We only have um, we have three active cases so far. Um, no current hospitalizations. Um, things uh, seem to be okay, but uh, a lot of the uh, talk right now is over this... Um, New uh, or not new, but this uh, uh, Delta uh, variant of um, of the uh, of the disease. It seems it's running rampant in um, non-vaccinated folks, uh, mostly in western and southern states and other states with low uh, low vaccine rates. Um, the Delta variant is about forty to sixty times more transmissible um, than um, um, than other uh, other variants. Um, it's, but it's more trans- transmissible, but not necessarily more dangerous. So it might be a little more dangerous. We haven't teased out all the numbers yet. Um, the, the reason this one works so well in spreading is because we talked about how it spreads that the spike proteins attached to the ACE receptors. Well, this one holds on really well. Um, so when it attaches, it's hard to knock off. And, it, and when it attaches, it's a firm attachment. And so there's two different factors that happen from this. When you just have it, when you breathe in a cloud of this, a lot of it's going to stick to the receptors in your lungs and cause you to get infected. And the other part about it is when you are already somewhat infected and your body's working on fighting off this infection, when the cells burst open with millions more of this virus, it spreads quickly through the body. And so that was the big thing early on we were talking about. Why, why do some young people get this disease and not do well at all and some people who are 80 do fine with it and it's probably the amount of exposure you get at once well this one's kind of exposing the whole body to this quicker and not allowing the body time to adjust and really fight it off so we don't have any hard evidence with the numbers are still playing out it's probably a little bit more severe and a little bit more deadly and we are finding that even people who are immunized occasionally will get this one. It seems like everybody who's immunized who gets it is getting the Delta variant. And uh, it's probably because that stickiness to the receptors and kind of overwhelming the body. Because when we're, when, when we're immunized to something, it doesn't mean that the virus doesn't enter our body. It still enters our body. It's just that we're good, mm-hmm. to, good at fighting it off very quickly. So here's a question. The one of the things that I've s- sort of been reading in in the literature about the Delta variant is that it does, you know, have more than zero success in people who are vaccinated. 
So given where the population stands for unvaccinated people and its extreme success at replicating in populations of non-vaccinated people, is there any sort of risk that it gets enough traction in the vaccinated population to sort of continue to spread in the background or potentially gain traction again, perhaps not on the scale of COVID when it was uh, first largely in this community? It, what, what, I, what I guess I'm asking is, is there a risk that you have sort of a a sustaining effect where non-vaccinated people get this variant, pass it back to just a certain percentage of people who are vaccinated, who then can precipitate it onwards to other non-vaccinated people and just keep this disease uh, spreading in, in a, a way less than the first round of the virus, but still successfully. Cycling and mutating while it's, right. while it's cycling. Yeah, that's a good question. I think that is what Israel and the UK are kind of seeing right now in a very highly vaccinated population. The Delta variant is still really taking a foothold and passing around. Um, there is, so yeah, increased risk of getting the Delta variant even with immunization. The good news is is that there's a decreased risk of severity. It's still 97%. The, the vaccine is still 97% effective at preventing severe COVID. So that's what we're hoping for, even if the Delta variant continues to spread around, that we've still mitigated the severe the severity of the disease and death. Obviously, is the biggest the biggest factor. So it'd be uh, as as far as the symptoms go for people who who contract it, who have been vaccinated. It's more it's more akin to a cold, or that's exactly right. Yeah, we're seeing it's more like a cold, which is partly why there's in some cases they've seen a delay in detection because people think they just have a cold. It might not be as associated with the loss of um, smell or taste as kind of the wild type pre-vaccination COVID we were seeing. So there's a little bit of difference in it. So if you, again, I keep telling people, if you have a cold symptoms, still get tested. We really want to know what's going on in our community now, especially with the Delta. You know, it's starting to take a foothold in Anchorage. We're seeing cases increase back up to intermediate level. So we're still seeing activity around that. I mean, Anchorage was down to really minimal cases, and that's increasing now. So. And even statewide last month, uh, the daily average was around 30-ish, right mm -hmm. around there. But this month, we're seeing 40s, 50s, 60s. And then on July 9th, there were 80 yeah. new cases and was state statewide. Um, with about, uh, I think it's about 20% of all new cases um, are or of the Delta variant, um, have we seen have we seen that in Kodiak in the Kodiak new cases? It's actually now forty percent in in 40%. Alaska, so it's quickly in so Alaska. About, okay, yeah, a couple of weeks ago it was around seven ten percent, and before you know, just a few weeks ago it was the first time it was detected the Delta variant. We're only sequencing about I think a third I read of our positive cases, so we're not getting a lot of data. There's probably more out there than what we're seeing. Um, and then I don't know if the cases in Kodiak have been sequenced for the Delta variant. That is a great public health question that I would, yeah, it would be interesting to know. I think it goes back to your original question of, you know, could people who are vaccinated somewhat spread this disease around? And it is a concern. I mean, early on, the concern about the vaccine was it hadn't been tested. Are we just keeping people asymptomatic and they're still spreading it? Well, now this is a little bit of a concern. Um, but my thought is we've found that the vaccine does seem to keep the viral loads low enough where it's hard to transmit the disease if you're vaccinated. And even people who end up with a positive 
uh, COVID, despite being vaccinated, probably are way less likely to spread it to others than people who are unvaccinated. And so could it be Harvard in the vaccinated group and spreading it back and forth? Yep. But I think it's I think people spreading it who are vaccinated is going to be way lower. Mm-hmm. The, the issue is what we were talking about just a minute ago that it it gets introduced to the body and if the immune system doesn't kick in right away it's going to reproduce very quickly and you could turn a positive covid but your body does eventually catch up and and fight it off because it's familiar with it and so it it is even though there's some worry that yeah you you could get it from a vaccinated person it's i think it's a pretty low chance and it's very beneficial to be vaccinated. Since since mass vaccinations um, have have started in the United States, um, the ratio of COVID case growth to hospitalizations has fallen 500 percent, and the infection fatality rate has fallen um, 2,000 percent. Like mm-hmm. it's 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 pretty significant. Um, and that's only with like 70 percent of the population vaccinated. Exactly. If that, yes. Oh, uh, yeah. we're not there. 50%, I think. 50% of 18 or older. Or tw- yeah, 12 or, or older. Or 12 or older, yes. I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just read last night about Delta Plus. Have you heard of Delta Plus, which is a mm-hmm. another slight protein mutation of the, the premium the, the Delta, version? The pre- yeah, <laughs> that's the paid monthly subscription yeah. of, of the Delta variant. Um, and what signifies that one from. The regular Delta variant is that it's more resistant to monoclonal antibody therapy. Can you explain what is monoclonal anti- antibody therapy? If you, yeah. So um, basically, it's where monoclonal antibodies antibodies specifically targeted to a particular pathogen or cell have been made in a lab, and then mm-hmm. that's injected into people. And those antibodies basically go and kind of take down, attach to, and then take down whatever they're targeted as. So this new plus, (laughs) Delta plus variant can evade those antibodies that are being made towards Mm -hmm. the COVID virus. So this is kind of a combination. I don't I've lost track of the, what what is the Brazilian one called? I think that one's the Epsilon? No, 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 no. No, No, yeah. Because the British one is Alpha. Yes. Uh, So... Alpha, beta, gamma. Is it gamma? Is it gamma? It could be. I can look it up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've lost track as I go, well. I'm going back to my, like, out. you know, theology classes in college. The <laughs> <laughs> Whichever one came, originated, or was found first in Brazil, that one's a pretty old variant, but it was also uh, resistant to the monoclonal mm. an- antibodies a long time ago. Gamma. It's gamma. Yeah, huh? would have been way easier if they made it beta for Brazil. <laughs> right. <or something laughs> like that. Um, but the the gamma variant uh, has been resistant. That was the most worrisome one to me early on. Uh, and but it's not as transmissible. This is kind of a hybrid of the two now, mm-hmm. where we have a combination of kind of delta gamma variants. Now it's easily spreadable and resistant to the antibodies. Um, it, it is, it's, we've talked about from the beginning, this is our worry. The longer this lingers, the long, more chances we have of getting an even more serious uh, variant that maybe the vaccine won't be effective against at all. And so that's the, the, the quicker we can quell this. And, and I hear people say all the time, I'm not afraid of this disease. That's, that's fine. I'm glad you're, you're, you're not. 
I don't think people should live in fear, but I think we should be careful and try our best to prevent this from getting worse. And that that's my goal with people is, is just to shut this down where it is so mm-hmm. that, that we can get rid of this disease. And I think it is possible. Some people say no way. I think it's possible. It's going to be pretty difficult at this point, but I think it's possible. Here's, oh, sorry, please go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I agree. The one tool we have in our toolbox to really put the disease out of our daily lives, I mean, we're still dealing with it, right? And we're going to continue to be dealing with it until the world is vaccinated. And the sooner we each do our part and get our vaccines, the better off we're all going to be. And we can stop talking about this. So... Here's a question that I have, and and I, I want to preface this question by saying, of course, the it, it, there is no ambiguity. The best way to stop this is to get vaccinated. But with that said, I remember when I was younger, my father explained genetics to me by saying, imagine that you have two beetles and you have one that has like a, a carapace and the other one that has like a set of pincers and it's trying to eat the other beetle. And... Uh, over time, you'll see the beetle with the with the pincers developing sharper pincers or maybe more powerful muscles that control the pincers, and the other beetle develops you know a, a, a greater and thicker carapace or maybe it, it, the the shell slopes or what have you adaptations to make it more difficult for the the beetle with the pincers to eat it. And what I'm wondering is, is there any sort of in the same way that we have with the widespread use of antibiotics created more antibiotic resistant bacteria? Is there a chance that the coronavirus will come up against a vaccinated population and adapt in such a way that it will be able to defeat the immunities granted by vaccination. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we're worried about is that these variants will get to the point. We, we, the, the target that was chosen was these spike proteins because we thought, well, this will be common to all of them. And it has been a great choice. Uh, it's worked very well. But the problem is if there, if this these variations that have already occurred in the spike protein with the Delta virus now being able to grip onto the ACE2 receptors way better um, with this. If it varies too much, uh, then um, we're going to find that the, the, the more changes that happen to this, the, the less effective our vaccines are. And it, it's, a, it's a natural pressure. Anytime you put pressure on something, it's going to squeeze out one side or the other. Um, and if, if the, the, the good part about this is it's, it's kind of like a, a wildfire and we can build a, build a wall of guys with water cannons on one side of the field. But if we don't have the whole field extinguished, it's going to sneak out the sides and start burning into the forest or whatever. And it's one of those things, if we meet this with overwhelming response, we will quell it. Uh, but if we have one guy out there with a hose trying to, to put it out on a 50-acre fire, it's, it's probably not going to be very successful. And so it does take people kind of joining in and, and working together on this and, and getting it stopped as early as possible because these variants are eventually going to catch up with us. Mm-hmm. But it is your analogy with the Beatles, um, and not the rock band, but the, the right. Beatles, <laughs> uh, they... You know, if the, the adaption with the pinchers gets so good that they're really good at killing these other beetles and kills them all off, they, may, they make their own destruction, too. And that's the way a virus is, too. If it's too deadly, um, it, it kills off people before it can spread, or it kills off the whole human population. Who knows? Um, but the I, I think it's most virus 
it, the way they work is they want to keep people a little, just not intelligently, just the way it works. They want to keep people sick and alive long enough to spread to as many other people as possible. And so something that's super deadly usually is not very successful uh, because you're killing off your spreader then. Uh, but things that can kind of simmer uh, are good at spreading around. Um, one more question, uh, COVID question before moving on to our um, other topics that we want to get to is um, a big question that is um, uh, certainly circulating around is can we now live with coronavirus with um, over 90% of uh, elderly uh, vaccinated who are our, you know, our, our primary uh, demographic of concern when, uh, when this whole thing started. And then with young children, um, uh, the CDC has said that the risk of serious complications are higher with the flu now compared with, with COVID. Um, and even long COVID um, really only affects 3% of, of kids who, were, um, who have been infected. Um, so, uh, uh, so, um, so what, what do you, what do you think about that? Um, how, uh, can we now live with, live with it? I would just, just assume consider, continue with the goal of living without it. I'd like to continue <laughs> that for that to be the goal. Um, can we live with it? Absolutely. And there does come a point where we, we've, we've got to, uh, come out of our homes and start, uh, working in society together again. Um, I, I've said from the beginning that I mean, kids do very well with this virus. The Delta virus is more transmissible and it has been hitting kid populations harder. But um, kids still do fairly well with this. And when I say kids, I mean prepubescence. Kids seem to do fairly well with this disease. Um, I think it's going to be a tough one to completely get rid of, but um it's it's still my goal yeah a couple of things on that if you are trying to wait out the pandemic and think you know i'm not going to get the vaccine yet, i'm just going to see and wait till this ends we do not have an end in sight and we can't wait out the pandemic if you don't get vaccinated the virus is going to find you and it might be one of these more infectious mutant forms that is going to be more devastating especially yeah we're seeing in kids too i mean there's more kids being hospitalized more kids in intensive care units on life support in the in the United States now with the Delta variant than we saw before. So we're getting to the point where we are seeing more signs of a potentially dangerous mutant and not sure exactly how that's gonna affect us. But at this point, you know, we were kind of hoping that we'd be on the tail end of the pandemic. The Delta variant has been a game changer as far as hoping that we could, you know, eventually just get through this and get out of this. And we're gonna, until we get everybody vaccinated, we're gonna see more and more variants come out and the pandemic's gonna continue on. So we are gonna have to learn how to live with it. The UK and Israel have released, you know, information for their citizens, how they're gonna try to continue to live with this. Israel went back, they, you know, everyone was celebrating, opening back up. Every, Israel was almost completely vaccinated. And now with the Delta variant, they're closing back down again. Mask mandates are back in place. They're learning how to live with this in, kind of that longer term, we're looking at a longer term kind of um, process with COVID now. And I think that's probably going to happen globally as long as, especially until we can get the globe vaccinated. About 7% of the population of the globe currently is vaccinated. So, I mean, 93%, there's still that chance that we are going to see more infections flare up mm -hmm. and continue to have mutants spin out of that. <laughs> um, so, 
here's another question then. Uh, what you know? It, I guess I've already asked a question about adaptation, but given that you know, only seven percent of the globe is vaccinated right now, and, and the virus is clearly still spreading. I mean, we've just seen with this with this absolutely outrageous um, proliferation of cases in India. What are the risks that we start seeing some even scarier variants over the ne- over the coming year as the pandemic burns into more populations that just haven't received the vaccine well if it's not scarier we're not going to notice it being being honest with you if it's uh if it it's got to raise some eyebrows that this is different and Mm -hmm. uh there's i'm sure there's hundreds of variants out there uh but it's the ones that 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 come out a little bit different that that raise eyebrows Uh, the ones that spread easier or have a more severe uh severe influence on the human body and so it's it's just a matter of time before more of these come out and that's the importance of lessening Mm -hmm. the chance of them coming out is by getting immunized it's it's unfortunate because we we as a world do need to come together and help help countries who can't afford this and and the u.s is starting to step up with it Unfortunately, some of the other players like China are also stepping up, but the difficult part with that is um, their vaccine is not nearly as good as ours. And so it's it's a matter of uh, a lot of these countries who got the Sinovac uh, are having a lot of spread of this Delta variant. Yeah, I think the risk is high. It is, yeah. yeah. So turning now to the topic of fitness, I'm just gonna start with a doozy. I got into an argument with my friend about a day or two ago, and the annoying thing about it for me was that I couldn't immediately refute it. But his claim was this: that one that the since the biggest or one of the biggest, I think it is the biggest, but I I I don't know that for sure. Uh, one of the biggest comorbidities with serious health outcomes from COVID nineteen is obesity, second age. Um, and his argument was that. More lives could have been saved if we had kept gyms open. Would you agree with that characterization or no? Unfortunately, no, because of the way the virus operates physiologically. Yeah, I, I, that's a tough one to answer, and I don't think there's any way to prove it or disprove it. I doubt it, um, but I will just say the type of exercise you get, uh, it 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 does matter for more than just getting lean muscle mass and getting your heart and lungs going and i think gyms are great but i think it should only be a part of your exercise regimen and so my encouragement for people is to whatever it takes for you to get out and exercise to use that modality gyms being closed causing more deaths hmm, i just I think those who are obese were going to be obese whether the gyms are open or not. Looking at myself, I'm, I'm a little fluffy myself, and whether the gym was open or not did not affect me. Um, but I, I, I just I, I can't imagine it made that big a difference. Them being, it's, it's interesting, but it's a novel, but I just don't think enough people go to the gym on a regular basis to make a difference. But... We have found that people are breathing hard in poorly ventilated areas do spread the disease really well. Even if they're six feet or more apart, they spread it very well. 
uh, ventilation is a key, and that's why since the beginning, I think all of us here have been a huge uh, proponent of outdoor exercise. Get outside, uh, enjoy this beautiful place we live in. And I continue to say that for more than one reason, uh, besides coronavirus, uh, outdoor exercise is roughly equivalent of taking a single antidepressant, a low dose antidepressant. Uh, we weren't made to spend so much time under fluorescent lights. We were made to be outdoors. And I'm not sure the gym can even provide that type of thing. It was the studies have shown that outdoor exercise is extremely beneficial. But I do have friends who say the only way for me to get motivated is to be there with a big group of friends and we do CrossFit and it's like a family coming together to, to crush this. If that's what it takes, great. I mean, that's awesome. Uh, for me, I, I got to be out in nature. I got to be out going for hikes in the woods and stuff. And so you got to figure out what works for you. But back to that question, no way to know for sure. Mm. So d before we, we dive too deep into the topic of fitness, can you guys give a really quick rundown of how overall fit that how overall fitness plugs into general health? How would you describe the current state of fitness for the average American? And how does fitness come into effect in COVID-19 outcomes? Um, so there is... This is hugely integrated into your overall health. And the unfortunate part is we in America have gotten to the point where we want all of our answers in the bottom of a bottle of pills. And me as a physician, I give out a lot of pills. Um, but the truth of the matter is we have terrible maternal fetal outcomes in this country. Awful. Uh, the truth of the matter is we have way more cancer than a lot of undeveloped countries and poor cancer outcomes uh, as compared to some undeveloped countries. Our obesity levels are horrific in this country. Um, some, uh, some obesity rates among the adult population in some of our states is approaching 50%. Half of Americans are obese and um, these drastically affect so many different things. I talked about maternal fetal medicine. A lot of the reason we have so much difficulty with birthing babies is because we're getting bigger and bigger and being morbidly obese when you're pregnant, it's not good for the baby. Um, it's not, it makes it harder for their, uh, delivery and it can cause some issues with the blood sugars of the babies and, um, we do have poor outcomes in the U.S., and I frankly think it's because we—it's not the—it's not necessarily the medical system as much as we're not coming into the medical system very healthy. And I—I I will. One of my one of my patients uh, gave me a hard time because, like I said, I'm getting a little bit too heavy, and he's like, and they were like, "You need to be a good example to your patients," and I agree with them. I need, I need to work on my weight and I need to work on getting more exercise and I am. Um, and so I think it is a, a good goal that all of this is integrated, the exercise, the diet, the overall health of humans in the U S is severely impacted, uh, by the amount of diet and exercise we get in the U S. Um, where we get so excited about, uh, new treatments for coronavirus. Well, even the best ones we have kind of stink. They're not very good. Um, but I'll tell you what, working out every day probably would be a, a great treatment, pre-treatment for getting coronavirus. 
And so it, it is highly integrated with it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, fitness tones your entire cardiovascular system. It helps your organs stay healthy. It stimulates that blood flow that basically goes through your entire system and cleans it out, brings oxygen, brings nutrition, nourishes it, stimulates your cells to work. I mean, if you read the science behind, you know, exercise fitness and and also of course diet is huge as well um there are so many ways in which it benefits your entire system and you know increases your immune system obviously infection fighting capability as well and then just your overall cardiovascular health is huge for preventing all sorts of diseases chronic diseases which also leads to you know acute diseases like infections there have been two studies recently, one that was just released a couple days ago, uh, one by the British Medical Journal, and I can't remember where I read the other one. Um, one of them was taking people who were sedentary uh, and in decent health but sedentary, and they uh, measured biomarkers. They started one group on just walking. They had to go for a walk six days a week, and I, I can't remember how far it was. The, the next group, they uh, did dancing. And the next group, they did stretching. Um, and it was very interesting because, the, and these were outdoor walkers. The outdoor walkers actually did better than the dancers on multiple levels, blood pressure, uh, cholesterol. And interestingly enough, there's a new drug that came out um, for, uh, to treat Alzheimer's disease that has gotten lots of press. If you're into investments and stuff, the company has done very well because it's a, a drug that we don't even know if it works. It works on the, uh, the tangles that occur with um, onset of Alzheimer's. We know it corrects that, but we don't know if it actually helps with memory or anything, and it's, it's a huge drug now. Well, walking was more beneficial uh, than any drug we have on the market right now. It was also, frankly, surprisingly to me, more beneficial than dance because I thought dance would be better because it takes a little more intellect and learning things, but apparently it's not as active and you spend more time watching than doing, uh, but more, more important than stretching. And so people get worried about Alzheimer's and their overall health. Well, just walking is probably the most beneficial you can do. Going for a daily walk is the most beneficial thing you can do. And so it's, it's been my goal this summer, and I encourage you to make it your goal. So one of the things that I, and I, I, I remember I asked, it was probably a few months ago when we were talking about conspiracy theories, but I asked whether or not there was, we should consider seriously any sort of, I don't know. I mean, we, we, do, we, we did this in public school, you know, when I, when I was growing up, but it seems that people in general aren't retaining healthy habits surrounding their nutrition, surrounding their, their daily exercise. And it's, it's coming to you guys, and it's creating, it's creating work for you. It's creating financial problems for them, and it's reducing their quality of life and potentially even their lifespan. How do you guys see in health how we could go about changing changing seriously America's relationship to fitness, to diet, in such a way where we won't be seeing these uh, ep epidemiological obesity? I think starting in the school, well, homes obviously is the most important part. Um, 
I read this really interesting study that kids, how how physically active you're wired to be in your future is determined by the age of three. I was shocked. I thought, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year olds, you know, the more active you are in your childhood, the better, but three years old. So really starting young, getting kids outside is really important. Schools, I think, is incredibly important, both diet and exercise. And I think both of those have kind of fallen to the wayside over the last few decades with school lunches. You know, the school system isn't well-funded, so the food choices are often not very healthy. Getting fresh produce, there's some amazing studies and and also um, kind of um, pilot projects that have been done in some schools on the East Coast where basically kids are growing their own fresh produce and bringing that into their school lunches and the effect, you know, just seeing kids change and also education around foods. In a lot of states, kids can't identify more than 10 vegetables or fruits. And that all of those things are what's really contributing. I mean, we're wired, we are still biologically wired to be like hunters and gatherers. We have not adapted to the industrial age and our current modern diets coming out of a grocery store. And so how do we get back to how we're supposed to be kind of trying to get back to what would we be doing if we were hunters and gatherers? We'd be out exercising, we'd be outside a lot, we'd be more in community, and we'd be eating fresh, healthy food off the land. And I think the more we can kind of adapt or like bring ourselves back to those kinds of roots, the healthier we're going to be. But I agree, it's it's kind of just gotten lost in our American culture and how to get it back. It's That's a big question. <laughs> For gov- from a government perspective, though, we, we've got to stop subsidizing incredibly mm-hmm. unhealthy foods. Yes. Uh, we, we subsidize the least healthy foods that you can get and foods I love. I love corn. Uh, it's highly subsidized in this country. Um, sugar beets, highly subsidized in this country. Uh, we, uh, we make it easy to do corn syrup and, and things like this. Um, the, and the problem is our, our political system allows for companies to come in and pay our politicians to support bills. Well, the organic farmer, organic family farmer, is not going to be able to support a politician like ConAgra um, can. And so what is subsidized? The big, the big companies who are putting out thousands, really millions of acres of corn and things that our body really doesn't need. People talk to me uh, in the office all the time saying, oh, I'm thinking about giving up gluten. I got to tell you, uh, gluten total intolerance is probably pretty rare. Um, but my answer to everybody is there's nothing in gluten-containing products that you need. Even if you go vegetarian, there's still some things you're going to have to adjust to and, and bring into your diet that you'll be missing if you go total vegetarian. You need to make sure that you get a well-balanced diet and the correct proteins if you decide to go totally vegetarian. I had one young lady who went vegetarian, but she didn't like vegetables, so she only ate potato chips. Um, <laughs> not a great solution. The, the uh, ideal vegetarian is. <laughs> I, I actually like that. I'm a big potato chip fan, unfortunately. Um, but uh, when it comes to some of these unhealthy foods that we subsidize, there's nothing in corn that we need. There's nothing in wheat that we need. All it is is basically sugars uh, that turn to fat the second you eat them in your body. 
the, the corn syrup, the sugar beets, all these things that we subsidize are terrible. We should be subsidizing healthy vegetables and mm -hmm. stuff like that if we're going to do anything. And those are the farmers who need the help the, help the most uh, so that we can make it more affordable for poor people to get good, healthy vegetables on their plates. Um, and so when it comes to how do we change this, well, it needs to start at the top too. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate part is these companies are so big and so powerful, it, it's really tough to change. It's just the way it is at this point, and it's hard to give up on these things, but like it or not, they, they own a lot of politicians. Yeah, at, at a basic level, for somebody just listening right now, if you can do two things, make two changes, start getting 30 minutes of walking outside exercise every day just simple walking you don't need any equipment you just need a pair of shoes and um start by increasing five to ten servings of vegetables and fruit in your diet every day you are going to be so much closer to just just those two changes alone have huge cardiovascular benefits they're pretty simple as well and you can work out in your own home the whole you know during covid Body weight exercises are incredible. Push-ups, sit-ups, you know, running in place, walking outside. Really, really, really simple things. You don't need a gym membership to keep yourself healthy. And as far as weight loss goes, maintaining that healthy weight, preventing diabetes, cholesterol, obesity, 80% is diet, 20% is exercise. Exercise is so important. Our body needs it. We crave it. When you get the good exercise in and kind of really start to – see your body changing and, and responding to it, you feel so good. And that's true for every human that fits that into their lives. But as far as maintaining your weight and preventing diabetes, 80% is diet because we're putting in too much sugar, we're putting in too much fat, we're putting too much processed calories, inflammatory you know, chemicals from our food into our systems, and that's affecting everything. So really two simple changes and you can make a huge difference in your life. It doesn't have to be hard or complicated. And even starting simpler than that, if you haven't been walking for the past year, walk to the end of the block and back on, on day one. And the next day, just walk another 100 feet past it. Mm -hmm. Figure out what's the most ridiculously small thing that you can imagine doing that there's no reason not to do it. Start with that and build from there. If you start, if you start with a 10-mile hike after not hiking at all you're going to be hurting pretty bad the next day and you're not going to want to do it again so start really simple start at a really small amount go into the mailbox and back rather than driving walking if it's not too far start with something very simple and build from there it takes about 30 or 40 days to start a habit um, and make that mental commitment that whether it's raining or blowing or it's cold, I'm going to do it no matter what for the next 30 or 40 days. And then it kind of becomes a habit. I started walking more at the beginning of the summer. I've got my left leg is, is bad. I have a bad knee and a bad ankle. Um, and I thought, oh, this is going to be murder on this when I start walk. I decided to double up my walking. My ankle and knee feel way better. But in that first week, I hurt. It took my body a little while to adjust to it. It took my body a little getting used to walking much farther every day. My joints feel better now than they have for years and years now that I've doubled up how much I walk because there's something about movement and lubricating those joints that really helps decrease the pain. But I'll tell you the same thing that I tell all my patients that I'm sending to physical therapy. After your first few sessions, you're going to feel worse 
rather than better. A lot of people go to it once and they're like, man, I felt worse afterwards. I'm never going back. When you start exercising, you're going to feel worse for a little while before you start feeling better. That's okay. Uh, keep, keep going with it. You're going to find out at a week you're doing better and at two weeks you're doing way better. And so I encourage you, even if you have advanced osteoarthritis, multiple studies have shown that you are better off walking than trying to save your knees because the, the, whatever is left of your knee is going to be lubricated and move easier than if you sit around and doing nothing. It used to be in the 60s, if you hurt your back, we told you, okay, go to bed and lay down for the next three weeks and let it heal up, but don't move. Worst advice we could have ever <laughs> given. Um, now we know that movement is very important. And so got to get out there moving. So in, 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 in to, to that effect, I think if you're, you, you mentioned that if you're adding like just 100 feet every day, at the end of 30 days, not only will you have built a habit, but you'll have walked you know, a kilometer on that 30th day. That's right. <laughs> so how how do people I mean it's it's not easy to start these habits. And what I'm wondering is somebody who's listening to this right now, maybe they're at home, maybe they're maybe they're older, maybe they have a serious health problem right now relating to their weight. How can they get started? Where can they get the resources and how do they keep themselves going? Cuz a lot of people can start you know, can start a diet. A lot of people can start exercising. A lot of people won't continue after week two, though, mm -hmm. or week three. So how do how do we really bring people to these habits from square one, from the couch? Maybe they're at home listening right now and they're stuck on the couch or they're watching TV or they're playing video games. How do you take somebody who's habituated to a sedentary lifestyle from the circumstances of their work and the way that they recreate and bringing them into a a regular and active lifestyle such that you guys won't be seeing these horrible health outcomes. I think Dr. Theobald was talking about earlier that d developing community where you're accountable to more people than just yourself. If you lay in bed and nobody knows about it, it's so easy. Um, if you start developing relationships with people and you're going with a on a walk with, I, I saw a group of three people, uh, just the other day who walked together every day at lunch, man, that's a hard habit to break. Suddenly you got two other people expecting you to go and it's not just on you to decide to go or not. Um, one is fine, but when you, you get a, a rope of three braids, it's pretty hard to break. And so we, we look at that, that, uh, that doing things in community and making yourself accountable to others is a big deal. If you're going on a diet, bring your whole family into it. Um, if you're going to go gluten-free, bring the whole family into it and talk about it and come up to what you can do as a family. Um, don't try to do it alone. And if you are by yourself, try to reach out to others around you and, and find a partner to do, do this with. But the important thing is starting small and building from there. Uh, if you bite off more than y y you can chew, if you bite off enough where it's super uncomfortable the next day, well, you're less likely to, to do it again. But accountability, I think, is the biggest thing. There's some really awesome programs that I've used and highly recommend. Um, one of them, you see this app, all, all the time being advertised. Noom is one of them. There's another program called V-Shred, which I have, there's a whole community on Facebook and it's so inspiring. I think some of the most inspiring things are just seeing 
people who have weighed 600 pounds, 400 pounds, 300 pounds, or 200 pounds their entire life and don't know any other, you know, since childhood and don't know any other weight, start to do these exercises, change their diet and show their progress. And when you see, when you start seeing that, you're like, man, I have no excuse. If they can do it, I can do it. And it is that sense of community, but it's also, it can be more convenient. If you can't find that partner, you know, with COVID, just having that internet resource is really helpful. Um, Weight Watchers is amazing. They do such a great job. And if you really stick with these programs, you are going to see the differences. And there's a few others. Spark People is one that I've, I learned from a nephrologist in Colorado and um, recommended that. And that was a huge one for preventing diabetes, which then leads to kidney disease. Obviously, you know, everything is kind of interconnected. But there are really great online programs. And I would say to somebody who's maybe more of an introvert or doesn't have time to necessarily find that community. First, that community is so important. We are also wired for community biologically. We, Even if you're an introvert, even if it takes a lot of energy, you feel so much better when you have had those connections with people around you. And that's huge for, your, for our general health and mental wellness. But if you know there is some kind of barrier to that, I think getting one of these programs online can be really helpful. And just checking in with it every day, being consistent, really, I mean, habits are from consistency and so really just saying today I'm going to spend five minutes you know looking at what I'm going to eat or or thinking about how I'm going to exercise and then 10 15 20 30 minutes actually doing some of those things and it doesn't take much it really takes that desire that you want to do it and then deciding that I'm going to do it no matter what and set an alarm clock right on your bathroom mirror whatever it takes to kind of really just make that ever present for yourself there there are little tricks and tips i think that can help it's a tough one though when you're depressed to get these things going and so work working on your mental health will help with getting exercise and working on exercise will help with your mental health and so these are heavily intertwined and trying to figure out just getting out there and the old nike saying just do it is kind of there comes a point in your life where you have to just say i can't keep living this way this is miserable i need to change something and this is this might be a good change for you to decide to do yeah i, I mean speak, speaking from my own personal experience i i lost a lot of weight after after um i, I did blood work with a doctor and the doctor looks at me and he, and he goes dylan if you keep on living the way you're living you're going to get to where you're going and um well that was good inspiration well, I'll get there eventually, but I don't want to be on the next train as uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of those deals. And I, I, I agree. We, we're not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to reverse the aging process very much. We're not going to be able to grow young again. We can feel a lot better than we have for years by changing some habits and someday we will all die and that's okay there's nothing wrong with that i'm not into making people live forever i'm into quality of life mm -hmm. this is even more than just making people live to 100 it's about living to a hundred happy and living to a hundred without being in pain um, and all of these things are helpful for that well i think that we have had a, a pretty complete address of this topic any final thoughts from either of you if you're listening, I would recommend looking at blue zones. That's kind of areas in the world where people not only live longer, but happier, healthier. And it, it kind of talks about what are the elements that create that kind of really healthy lifestyle for so many people in that setting. So it's something to kind of look into if you're interested in more. 
if you need some additional direction, there is, you know how they all the exercise programs say consult your doctor. It's not a bad idea if you're concerned about your health because there are some things. People with heart disease need to have some ideas of what, what is too much because there is too much. Uh, people who are in their 20s, for the most part, you can do fine. You, you can work yourself hard and you're most likely not going to hurt yourself beyond feeling sore the next day. Uh, but as we get older, there are some things that I, I do want to clue people into. If at any point you're starting an exercise regimen and you end up with jaw tightness or shoulder pain or chest pressure, feeling like something's on your chest, you need to go to your doctor. It's not the end of the world, and people are afraid of having something wrong with their heart. Don't be afraid of it. Just fix it because there's been huge advances in cardiovascular health. This will make your whole life better if you can get these things worked on. So when they say consult a physician before starting an exercise regimen, I don't know that everybody has to, but if you're worried at all, if you have questions at all, we would love to talk to you. Well, and and if you're if you're crazy enough, the thing that I did was I started I, I went in and got a lipid panel done like every six months, and then it would you know I had a doctor looking at me and saying, your cholesterol numbers were really bad, now they're really good, and that's um. That's really cool feedback. And you, you can get uh, a complete blood count, a complete metabolic, looking at your kidneys, liver, electrolytes, and a cholesterol panel for 40 bucks at the hospital. It's the best deal. Cash out of pocket, 40 bucks. It doesn't go through insurance or anywhere else. They hand you the results and then find somebody who knows about labs. I love labs. I order them too much. I know I do but I love going through them with people to give them goals. So mm -hmm. if you're curious about where you're at, Providence has a walk-in lab for 40 bucks that you can get all that information, whether you're 20 or you're 90, and figure out where your baseline is. And it's not a bad idea. Go in fasting though, go in uh, without having eaten for at least 12 hours and it'll, you'll get better numbers and figure out where you're really at. So if you're curious, you can go and get those numbers too and it's not that expensive. Well, there you have it. Uh, this has been another episode of KMXT 100.1 FM's The Lowdown. Thank you both so very much for joining us. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Enjoy the sunshine. <laughs>